We're walking through the Ten Commandments. And kids, last week we had a challenge to memorize all Ten Commandments. And I want to review them for us. The kids who took the challenge, it was unbelievable. It was almost 100% getting 100% right. But it was 100% of our students getting an overwhelming majority of them right. And, And we have hidden the commandments in our heart. Remember one, you should have no other gods before me. Two, you should not bow down and worship any idols. Three, you should not take the Lord's name in vain. Four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Five, honor your mother and father. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, do not commit. Eight, do not. Nine, you shall not. Ten, do not. Covet. Very good. We have got the Ten Commandments in our brains, and we want them to move to our heart, but it's something when we live out those Ten Commandments. See, God is calling us, not just as a country or a church or a household or an individual, back to the Ten Commandments. He's calling us back to Him. In fact, this is about loving Him first. Last week, we learned that first commandment, that you shall have no other gods before me. We learned that it's all about God. I want us to look and focus on the second commandment tonight. Look with me at Exodus 20, verse 4 through 6, as I read from the New Living Translation, as it allows it to leap off the page for us, maybe in a way we haven't seen in a while. Do not make idols of any kind whether in the shape of birds or animals or fish. You must never worship or bow down to them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not share your affection with any other God. You see, God isn't jealous in a self-centered human way. He is not jealous the way we know jealousy. He is jealous for our affection because he knows that when anything else takes the number one seat of priority in our life, the number one place of what we worship, it's going to bring pain and hurt for us. And he doesn't want us to walk in pain and hurt. And so he says, keep me first. Don't worship anything else above me. You see, because of his love for us, he's Jealous for us to get it right with him. Now listen to what the consequences of the sin of idolatry are in our life. I do not leave unpunished the sins of those who hate me. But I punish the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generations. I think this is a commentary on uh, American culture if I've ever heard one. When we've had a generation or two or three that have tried to distance themselves from God, we are paying for it now in our children and our children's children and our children's children's children. But you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Let's read on. The next verse, But I lavish my love on those who love me and obey my commands, even for a thousand generations. See, last week we observed how God spells love. Do you remember? God spells love, O-B-E-Y, to obey. Now look back at that verse with me a moment. But I lavish my love on those who love me and obey my commands. 
See, love and obedience for God, they always go together. If I say I love him, but I don't obey him, it's false. If I try to obey him, but I'm not loving him with my life, it's false. God says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And my command for you to live this ten, to live this second commandment, is for your own good. Because whenever you put anything in that number one worship spot other than me, it will bring pain and hurt, says our God. Now you might have already disqualified yourself tonight as being an idol maker. Maybe it's because you read this and you said, I don't know that I have any uh, idols of birds or fish or animals in my house. Maybe, ladies, some of you have said, this is exactly why we will not have stuffed deer hanging on the wall, because I don't want any kind of animal hanging on my house. Sometimes we see this and it's kind of a stretch. We say, is he talking about a hunting trophy? Is he talking about a little golden statue? Is, is he talking about what? And, and we can dismiss this and say, well, I have not committed uh, idolatry. This is not an issue for me. But we need to look at this closely and see the definition is a little bit broader than what we may think. I believe this has nothing to do with a hunting trophy. This has nothing to do with a little statue in your home. Though I guess those could be idols for you if that was an issue in your life. Let's look at identifying some of our idols together. Some definitions that may help us with that. I- idolatry is this. Making an image of some created or imagined thing and worshiping. Worshiping that image and whatever spiritual, supernatural power that image represents. It's, it's me conjuring up or creating any kind of image or imagined thing and worshiping that image, whatever supernatural power that image would represent. In other words, worshiping something or someone other than God, that's when I empower that thing to take a place in my life that it was never intended to hold that place. I'm aligning myself with something that's other than God. Now get this, an idol can be anything, but when I am worshiping that idol, when I'm giving it the number one seat of praise in my life other than God, it becomes a satanic hold in my life. It becomes a supernatural spiritual warfare issue in your life. You say, well, Pastor Brady, it's kind of broad definition. Anything that I could conjure up and I could give my attention to, I mean, I guess I've heard it talked about before. It could be a car. It could be a job. It could be a relationship. And, and you're saying that car is satanic or that relationship is satanic or, or whatever it is I'm holding up in that number one seat? Hey, friend, this is the best trick of the enemy. For most of us, not all of us, for most of us, he's not going to come and try to get you to join a satanic occult somewhere reading from the book of Satan. He's going to get you to see truth and twist it just a little bit. Just get off course enough that you're no longer following the truth of God and it's going to lead you down the same path of destruction. And we need to call it out for what it is. And this idol is a satanic idol leading down a path not pleasing to God. Anything that is not of God and pleasing to him is going to lead us away from him is a sinful path and it's a path the enemy loves to use let's look at another definition help us broaden our understanding of idolatry it's believing or investing your life in something other than God to the extent that whatever you believe influences it alters it empowers the way that you live 
But what are the things that you are investing yourself in? And it's not bad to invest yourself in, in something, but when you invest yourself to the point that it is the number one in your life. Let me give you a simple test to help identify some of the idols that may be hanging around your life. See, my idol is what I think about when I'm not thinking about anything in particular. What is it that you daydream about? What is it that you linger on when you're thinking and and there's no prescription of what you have to think about? Do you spend all your time hoping and dreaming for that vacation? Do you spend all your time daydreaming about that problem or issue? Do you spend all of your time fixating on what it is that you hope to achieve or want? What is it you think about when you don't have to think about anything in particular? You see, idolatry, it can also be defined as blind or an excessive devotion to something. What is it that I'm going to blindly or excessively devote myself to? That can be idolatry. It's pretty simple. It's clear. I think the scripture is straightforward on this, that God has designed you to devote yourself to something. God has created you. He has wired you to worship. And that's why We make it such a high priority in our gatherings to worship together, to collectively gather to worship God together. He has created each of us uniquely to have a drive to worship. Just like any other drive of hunger or anything else in our life, we all are created with a drive to devote ourselves to something. And God says, I have created you with that drive, and if you put anything else in that position... It will cause pain for you. God made us to worship Him. Whenever we direct our worship to something or someone else other than God, we're creating an idol. See, anything can be an idol in our life. As we sin against God and we allow our hearts to be devoted to something other than Him, the enemy would love nothing more than to get us to think that doesn't qualify for the second commandment. But the Father says, I want you to live the ten because it is best for you and our relationship. Now let's look at understanding our idols. Move down in your outline to that. Understanding the idols in our life. First, we've got to see that our idols will always distract us. They will always distract us. 1 Corinthians 12, 2, Paul tells us and reminds of his friends at Corinth, you know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray. You were led astray. When you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along and worshiping speechless idols. He was reminding them, he was warning them, but before they came to God, they were taken astray by worshiping these things that had no life and power in them other than they gave them life, they gave them power by giving them all of their devotion. Our idols will always distract us from what is really powerful in our life. My idols will eventually dominate me. Psalm 106 says this, They worship their idols, and this led to their downfall. Their enemies crushed them and brought them under their cruel power. Not only will idols distract us, idols, left unchecked, they will begin to dominate us in our life. 
We have a word for this in our culture. Our culture talks about this in terms of addiction. An idol left unchecked is something that takes control and dominates in our life, and we are soon addicted to it. Be careful the things you say you are addicted to. It's very telling. If you ever are confessing what you are addicted to, let it be in a spirit of confession that you are not prideful about it. It frustrates me to no end when I hear friends of mine, dear friends of mine, in other states, who will call themselves almost as a badge of honor, a workaholic. I'm not saying you shouldn't be a hard worker. I'm not saying you shouldn't give God your best. But, but think about what we are giving voice to. I am addicted to my work. God says, don't let anything take the number one seat in my life. I guess being addicted to Christ is a positive aspect. I'm not trying to get you to feel guilty about your job. I'm not trying to get you to feel that you should be lazy or give you an excuse not to work hard. But I'm trying to say, what is it that compels you, that dominates your life, that controls you? This is an idol. God says the only thing that should control you at that level of an addiction should be me. Our culture sees that when we have an addiction, we cannot break it in our own strength. Even our secular culture talks about the need for a higher power to break from this, and we know the one and true and only higher power is Christ. Left unchecked, that thing you love more than God will control our life, and it will eventually dominate us. Next, our idols will not only distract us, they will dominate us. Our idols will inevitably, they will disappoint us. They'll disappoint you. Jeremiah 10, 14 says they make idols, but the idols will disgrace their makers. For they are frauds. They have no life. They have no power in them. They will let you down each and every one, every single time. Underline that in your outline. Uh, Disgrace their makers. On the front end, Satan makes this idol, this thing to give yourself to, so enticing, but yet he doesn't tell you the shame that's to follow. He doesn't tell you the filthy and the ugly and the painful result that will follow from giving yourself to this thing that is something other than God. Amidst all of the decay in our country, it's interesting to me the things that popular opinion will sway on and change. It's not that long ago that we could remember that the use of tobacco was broadcast and advertised and culturally acceptable as something that is enticing and cool and great to have in your life. But it's interesting to me now that our culture has begun to see some of the medical challenges and physical challenges with tobacco use, and and you've seen some of the commercials that depict tobacco for what it can really do to you. I think of some of the commercials a, a few years back that describe tobacco in a sense that is anything but enticing. I remember one commercial that called tobacco and described it as this. It's a tumor-causing, teeth-staining, smelly, puking habit. And then they would go on to show the different pictures of people who had all kinds of things that had happened to them physically because of something that appeared to be so cool and harmless and Not really that bad of an addiction. Every time I think we hear about idols, we need to remember an image like this. 
It's almost as if you would see a guy sitting next to his gal as they're watching a movie, and he's got his can spitting tobacco into the can. As the woman next to him sits and watches the screen nonchalantly, she reaches for his spit cup and takes it in hand, ready to take a big old gulp. As nasty and disgusting and repulsive as that is, not because it's just gross, but because of what we know it can do to our body, God says this is the picture of all idols and what it does to you. They actually come to a place where they'll not only disappoint you, they will deform you. They will begin to eat you up inside. They will begin to disfigure you. They will ultimately deform you. Psalm 115 verse 4 says, Idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. Look at those who make them. They are just like them. See, the things that we worship, we ultimately become just like them. We become deformed and we begin to take on some characteristics of that thing or that person or that scenario that we give ourselves to. What is God's goal for each and every Christian? What does he want us to give ourselves to? It's to be Christ-like. You see, when we give ourselves to Christ and he is the focus of our worship, our attention, hopefully we become like him, we become conformed to him. But when we give ourselves to anything other than him, we take on that form and it deforms us from what God has created us to be. An idol will ultimately deform you. Friends, uh, you, you have journeyed long enough to know that idols can be things that in and of themselves are pretty good. But when we put them in a place they'll never intended to be in that place, it can do some pretty major reconstruction in our life. Religion can be an idol. I have friends and people in the ministry and People I know who are in leadership roles in churches, just like you have, who have made church, who have made ministry their idol. They put that above their own relationship with God, and it's begun to disfigure them spiritually. It's begun to disfigure them emotionally, and sometimes even in the physical relationships they have in their life. And when they put something even as good as serving God in church and serving God in, in a leadership role somewhere, above their own relationship with God, above God himself, it begins to disfigure figure them. God loves us. He says, here are the Ten Commandments. Here are the top ten. Live the ten. Not because I'm bored and I just want to see if I can catch you doing something bad, but because I want you to have the greatest potential in your life. For those of us who are here this morning, it ties exactly with what Paul is teaching us about having joy in our life. We can shine like the stars in the universe when we begin to see that when we obey God and we trust in Him, He will help us be all that we were created to be. But we have to invite Christ in, let Him sit at the table and be the King of the kingdom. But it is our job to take the truth He gives and take every thought, every feeling, every want to His feet and allow Him to bring truth to us. These good things can be idols. But I guarantee you that if your object of affection, the number one seed in your life, is not God, it will bring Pain. One author puts it this way. We don't worship objects in our culture as much today. Not as much as we worship images. 
Images of success. Images of wealth. Images of status. Images of sensuality. It's this picture-perfect world that we can imagine how it should be, how it could be, and we long and race for that. Advertising has made an entire industry of this. Their job is to get you to have the perfect mental picture of their product, of what they're selling, and how you couldn't imagine life without it. And I guess that's fine when you're selling chewing gum. But when we begin to live our life as an advertising person, and we begin to say, I I can't imagine living without this, or without that, or without that, anything other than God in that blank in the sentence will lead us in a path where it will break us. By now we're probably saying, I'm sick and tired of hearing about idols. How do we move from this? How can I forsake my idols? Let's look at forsaking our idols. In rapid fire, here's a few things that we need to do. We need to turn from our idols. Ezekiel 18, 30 and 31 says, Turn from your sins. Don't let them destroy you. Put all your rebellion behind you and get for yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die? There's no hope for us when we admit and see that we have idols if we don't forsake them. Forsaking them and turning from them is repenting. Repenting means to go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. And we say, I no longer want that to be in my life. It's as if God is telling us, stop, this is going to hurt. I think sometimes our culture at this point says, who is God to tell me That this is bad for me. God puts up a sign for us to protect us that says, wrong way, don't go this way. And I think sometimes, at least our culture, and we begin to become indoctrinated by the culture, we say, well, how, how do they know, or how does God know what's, what's the right way for me? How do they even know where I'm going? It's as if you're getting on the on-ramp onto the interstate, and you begin to see all these signs that says, Don't go this way. Wrong way. And we say, how do you know where I'm trying to end up? But yet, it's trying to warn you that you're driving into oncoming traffic. It doesn't even matter where you're intending on going. You're going down a path that's going to end in a collision. And God says, stop. Don't do this. Forsake those idols. Do a U-turn and go the other direction. We also need to fight against our idols. If we make an emotional decision to turn away from them, we need to be honest that there's a battle ahead. There needs to be fighting against this idol that has a grip in our life. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments of every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought. Circle that. Taking captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Take every thought, every feeling, every want, and make it obedient to Christ. We're fighting against this idol. See, God will only deliver me from my enemies. And if I try to take this idol and make a love-hate relationship and try to make them into a frenemy, and we try to say, well, I, I, I can't stand it, but, you know, I love it and hate it at the same time, God cannot deliver us. But when we say, this is an enemy, I want to turn against it, I don't want this to have the number one seat in my life, I want to fight against it, God not only can, but will deliver us. Finally, worshiping God, instead of idols, helps us forsake them. Uh, A number of months back, when we were looking at 
The series, Lord, Change My Attitude, we saw that it's not just enough to empty ourselves of a bad attitude. And the same principle here, it's not just enough to say, I'm going to empty myself of worshiping some other idol in my life. I need to fill that space and void with something else, and I need to worship God. This is one reason why I want to press us to put words to our testimony about what God is doing. If you don't want a job or a relationship or a possession or any other thing to be an idol in your life, why don't you displace it by giving God more airtime in your brain and in your mouth? When do you talk about what Jesus is doing and what he's teaching you other than in this building? I mean, talk about it in here. This is good. I mean, if we can't talk about it here, we're going to talk about it. But when does Jesus and what he's doing and teaching you recently invade your conversation? I'm not trying to get you to be a personality type that that you're not. Well, I, I just don't talk that much. Well, then don't talk that much. But you talk some, I think. Some. And what percentage of what you do say has anything to do with what God is teaching you. Begin to displace this and don't allow an idol to take root in your heart by worshiping God instead of idols. And this last thought, you see, when Israel returned back to God and they knew that they wanted to worship Him and they wanted to fight against the idols, they wanted to turn from them, King Josiah led them in a pretty drastic measure. 2 Kings 23.4 tells us the king had all these idols burned outside of Jerusalem on the terrace of the, of the Kidron Valley, and he carried the ashes away to Bethel. He, he literally burned them and got the ashes away and, and took them out, and, and we began to see, God, are you calling us to not just make sure we don't have little Buddha statues in our house, Are you calling us in this second commandment to to make sure that we don't preach or live our life from some other religious text other than your word? It's your word that has authority. Those are true, yes, but could it possibly be that we need a warning from the Lord tonight on how to live the ten, to look at soccer, to look at grades, to look at income? To look at our spouse. To look at our physical pain. To look at our loneliness. To look at that wrong that someone has done against you. All of these can begin to grip our mind. And cause us to live our life to change that. I'm going to live in such a way that nobody will ever hurt me that way again. And you know what? Nobody does because they can't get close to you again. Because you put wall after wall after wall. And before you know it, your idol, what you are worshiping, is a zone where you could never be hurt by anybody. And you would rather not be hurt than to experience what God wants for you. God says, I don't want you. To let anything be that important over me because it will bring pain in your life. Hear me. I'm not suggesting that you can't love something. You can't be dedicated and devoted to something. But whatever takes the number one seat in your life. God says if it's not me, 
I'm the one who created you, it will end up destroying you. I want us to close tonight. In the remainder of our few moments together, I'm going to ask Jacob to come back up. And I want us to not just hear the word, but I want us to practice it tonight together. And let's take some intentional waiting on God moments. We're not going to hang out for a long time. But over the next few minutes, I want you to allow the lyric of these songs to guide and direct your attention to the one who has the number one seat in your life. Maybe as we're singing, the Lord may convict you and may say, Hey, we need to forsake this. We need to come against this. We need to make sure that it's not creeping into that number one seat. If so, right at your seat, you just do business with God and say, God, help me. I want you to sit at the kingdom table and and you tell me what I need to go say to the mind, what I need to say to the emotion, what I need to say to the desires. Others of us, we just need to be reminded of how good our God is. That He loves us so much that He says, Praise me, worship me, none other. Lift me up because when you see who I am, you will see how powerful I am to handle all the things that are screaming for your attention. So let's just wait on God and let this be your prayer tonight.